Welcome to The Bag Drop. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. And today, we're going live. We're going live with a very special guest. He's a writer. He's a globetrotting golfer. He's a senior editor of the Golfer's Journal. And he's a member of New Club Golf Society since 2019. Yes, Tom Coyne is joining us live on The Bag Drop. Consummate professional. Tom does these live renditions better than anyone I've seen engaging the Zoom audience. So I think you're going to enjoy this one. His book, A Course Called America, is out now. I just finished it before we did this recording, and I think it's brilliant. Uh, I enjoy all his travel books. This is kind of the third in that trilogy following Ireland and Scotland. And it's it's just a tale of our country and, and the game and reflects on our history, uh, what makes places special, what makes uh, the game, particularly people, the stories about people in the book are, are fantastic and um, really connects you more to the country. So I recommend it uh, wholeheartedly to everybody now. It's one of my favorite books this year, and I know you'll enjoy this conversation as well. We touch on the book. We touch on Tom's most fascinating life in golf, and it's it's just a really enjoyable one. I think if you're a regular listener to the show, you're going to have fun. Another place that you're going to have fun is The Hooch, our annual event Coming to Atlanta, or specifically LaGrange, Georgia, in the Fields Golf Club on September 25th, the format is 36 holes, best ball, followed by alt-shot teams. Uh, guests are welcome. We're going to have a ton of food, three meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner included. We're going to have live music after the rounds. We're going to have bonus golf. If, you, if that suits your fancy, it's going to be an awesome day. And I don't want you to regret missing the Fields. Okay, so get down there, even if you don't join us for the hooch on September 25th, get down to the Fields Golf Club in LaGrange, Georgia. Mike and Ashley Young built the place with their own hands and they're still running it. And it's uh it's just so unique to the area and 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 we absolutely love it. So really looking forward to this event. Uh check it out. Registration opens this week. And now, without further ado, on to the show with Tom Cole. Tom Coyne, welcome back to the Bag Drop, Untold Stories in Golf. Great to be here at the old Bag Drop. I was on the pod a long time ago, I think, when I was traveling through Chicago, playing golf with you and your club mates, new club, fellow new club members at um, Downers Grove. I think we recorded something then, which was cool. So We, sh- we sure did. Yeah, actually- so great to be back, man. Oh. I had to go back through, you know, the, the photo feeds and determine exactly when that was. It was to the day, Tom. Well, two years and two days to the day. Really? We were playing golf. Yeah. Yeah. Two years That's and two days ago. Wild. That is some wild stuff right there. And what a weird two, because what a weird damn two <laughs> yeah. years it's been, you know? Like, who the hell would know? Yikes. Um, so, yeah, well, hey, you know life slowly returning to normal and um nice to like pretend those two years didn't happen we'll just <laughs> we'll just talk about you know golf and stuff it'll be good you know your your book almost made me forget it uh that it did happen until the, the very end when you kind of transition into the pandemic years it actually yeah. it was actually a, a very um it gave me chills in the book when you, I think it was the Hawaii chapter yeah. uh, where you talk about lost golf and the pandemic seeking in. Cause it was kind of an escape until that point, right. Of living yeah. this normal life of 
travel and exploration and adventure. But uh, that put it in perspective for me that yeah, as cool as these things are, there there are no guarantees. No, and it was interesting when we were editing the book. Um, you know, getting some feedback from folks who were reading, you know, the early drafts when we were still very much in the thick of things and we're like, man, this is like reading like a history book or this is like reading something that like, you know, I forgot we used to do stuff like this, you know, because the book is just about just this free flowing travel, just every day, a new hotel room, a new rental car, a new, a new airplane, you know, and a, and a new state. And, you know, and then suddenly we can't like leave our state. And, um, so I remember getting comments from people who were reading it where it's like, it was kind of like freaking them out. Like it, it was just moving them back in time. And then they come out of it and be like, Whoa, I live in a different universe now. So, um, but yeah. And then there's like, as the book closes, I sort of fast forward, um, toward, uh, you know, to this ending where, um, because I finished like the travel in Hawaii, I finished right before COVID. Well, I finished in December and then, you know, I guess by February, March, we're kind of all, all COVID shut down. So, um, it wasn't that long and, uh, it was, yeah. So I f- sort of fast forward at the end of the book and, and talk about how things have changed. Cause there was still a round of golf that I wanted to get to, that I wanted to get in that COVID was denying me. Um, but you know, was able to get it in and, and sort of finish the book that way. The passage, of, I, I want to start with this, or I want to get it out of the way, because I, I know I, I was talking to you privately about, uh, you know, do you want to do a reading? And you're like, no, it's not to readings. It's just have, you know, a chat, a conversation, open it up to our members questions. But, you know, new club's never been in a book, Tom. And <laughs> really? I, I, I've certainly not been in a book <laughs> myself. So if, oh, if, you'll, if you'll humor me, can I, I find that hard this? to believe? Can I read but, the, the closing paragraph of from course, our of Chicago chapter? So yeah. Tom Coyne in A Course Called America, page 193, if anyone wants to follow along. By the way, Tom, I've, I've heard you on a lot of podcasts o- over this promotion, and, and I feel personally attacked because, uh, to, what is it, two years ago, whenever we were supposed to go to Scotland originally, we bought your Scotland book for all of our members, yeah. and, we, and we gave it out. Well, being the cheapskate that I am, I, I bought all paperback. So I just wanted to, sh- to show you that I did buy a hardcover of this guy. Okay. So, okay. I spent the big bucks for you, buddy. Sheesh. Well, you didn't, yeah, we, I didn't know about that old paperback thing, you know, before I put you in the book, but I'm glad it's worked out. You've, you've done better this time. So I have a yes. paperback as well, but um, uh, I, I bought both. Well, you got I bought two. You got, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, it all goes to support your craft, right? That's, that's <laughs> why we're doing it. All right. Hey, someone's got to feed these kids. <laughs> Page 193, I was the darkest of horses against this lanky former college player. He went to the club head at speeds that struck me as inappropriate, and squaring off at his regular loop didn't bolster my eyes. But after two holes, I found myself one up, and his fellow members followed our match. I felt myself fighting for every Gen X dad out there who might not know how to Snapchat, but knew a thing or two about getting up and down. I rained buckets to have Matt with birdies on third on the third and fourth, then gave away a hole on the abominable fifth. The math the math regressed to its likely mean, but I was pleased that Matt at least had to birdie the final hole to finish me off. We shook hands and traded stories on the Downers Grove patio, 
which had become the new club's grill room for the day. I soon left the airport, but not before becoming a new club member myself. And unlike my other memberships, I could take this one anywhere and I would. Yeah. So that was awesome when you, the, you know, the whole membership thing was really, really cool. I hope we, we, we were, I was nervous. I was thinking about that. I think that one of the reasons I think I left you around in that match so long is I was so nervous to give that to you. <laughs> I didn't know what you were going to say. You were taking it easy on me while I was draining bombs, bombs at Downers Grove. Now that was really fun, but it was like when I said, Oh, let's have a match. And there were oohs and ahs from the new club crowd. And, uh, I was like, oh, all right, let's, let's get this on, Donkey Kong. Um, it was good. A lot of these guys were there. How, how many states? You played a lot of matches through this book. You played mm-hmm. 300 courses. I mean, uh, how many states did it take you to get over that one? <laughs> it was, um, uh, it, it, I'll tell you, I, don't, I still don't know if I'm over it. So all sorts of states, emotional states, physical states, <laughs> geographical states um yeah i'm i i am due for a a rematch i will say that i I'm start i'm hitting it pretty good this year so bring it on you know i it's it's it was it was really a treat for all of us right i i know the i was the one in the match with you and i was uh, very honored to to be that person but i think just that you know you took time out of this ridiculous schedule that you put together to to hang out with us at downers and play that that little nine hole muni um it was important to us tom and and you just like you being here with us today but the, the one thing that i remembered was you know i'm following your instagram stories in this uh grand wonderful adventure that you're on but i remember seeing you get out of the car after being in like three hours of traffic to get to- <laughs> to downers like yeah. the peak of chicago traffic is july for some reason or early august and uh you just look so tired <laughs> and in I a know. good way i don't mean that insultingly but like no 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 yeah how how exhausting was this trip for you it's fun and and i would get that all the time and i would it's like and i'd be like damn because i'm trying to not look tired um and i'm trying to not be tired and you know, I'm doing, I'm doing my best, but, um, yeah, it just was, you know, doing 36 a day every day, um, and probably averaging about four hours, I don't know, four hours a day driving on top of that. Um, it just, whether, you know, whatever kind of shape you're in or however well prepared you are for it, or however much, you know, makeup you have to try and get the bags under your eyes to go away. Um, not that I use that sort of stuff, or maybe I, maybe I dabble. It's hard, you know, and, uh, you know, it's not digging ditches. Don't feel bad for me, but, um, it was, yeah, there's just no way to kind of avoid being tired, but I got so used to like functioning tired that I, I wouldn't, if someone would say, Oh, you look tired. I'd be like, really? Like, I don't feel tired when I physically absolutely hundred percent was, um, but it's just, that's just how I, 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 I functioned. I did the same thing in Ireland. I did the same thing in Scotland. So you just kind of get used to like operating that way. And, um, you know, I don't drink coffee. So I just kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm feel a little bit tired all the time and I have little kids. So I know what it's like to be tired. Um, yeah. Right. Like, I think after you have a kid, like, I, just, I feel like you're just part of you, a part of you will be tired. Um, I don't know, maybe until they start having kids. So 
but yeah. Fight, fighting for all those Gen X dads. Yeah, see, exactly, representing. So uh, there's also the I thought about your lineup for Chicago specifically, like the finagling of some of the clubs that you had to get on, like this coveted courses that um, you have to know the right person. How, how much, how exhausting is that? I mean, I had, I, I get tired when it's like a, a text chain, five members. I mean, you, you had to have been in so many different threads to, to make all this work. It was, you know, a pretty full-time, um, it was a full-time job arranging the itinerary. You know, so I'd have sort of my list of courses that people have recommended, which was between like, and there were hundreds, it was over 500 courses on a spreadsheet. And then I had a map going and then I had a calendar too. And I was trying to sort of sync up all three into some sort of, you know, some sort of route that I would be taking. And um, so a lot, you know, would go into that. But then there was this added element of, okay, like, I'm saying that on this Tuesday, I need to play, for example, Chicago golf club, you know, cause that's when it fits in the schedule. Well, that's pretty presumptuous to say, to, to say that on July 25th, that I'm going to be able to find someone to host me at Chicago golf club. So that becomes, you know, there were a lot of public golf courses in the book, but you know, it's the nature of golf in America that if you really want to tell the story of golf in America, whether you like it or not, and I've gotten a little bit of crap from people for saying like you went to all these fancy places. I can't tell you the story of golf in America without talking about something, you know, without telling you about Newport and Shinnecock and Chicago golf and, and Cypress, like in, in Augusta, like I, I didn't go to Augusta in this book, but they're part of the story of golf in America, whether you like it or not. I also went to a lot of other places, a lot of munis, a lot of very, very public places, free places, places built by hand by people in their yards. So, um, you know, so it was a pretty broad, it was a very broad mix, but getting on to the private ones, if whether it be Friars Head or, or Chicago Golf, yeah, that became a whole other kind of work and effort. Um, and I relied heavily on, yeah, like you said, it was, it was just these long email chains that was like, okay, I know a guy who knows a guy, let me loop him in with you. And then another guy. And then you next, I mean, it'd be a hundred emails later, maybe we'd settle on a tea time. And, uh, and then, and, and, you know, and, and it was really amazing how at the end of the day, I did really get to um, get to all the spots that I wanted to, or that I needed to, because I wanted to play every U.S. open venue, how they actually all kind of came through. I was, that was the big surprise of the trip for me. And that was before the book had even been started was that, you know, I was actually able to check off all the, these places on my calendar. Because generally, I think, you know, if you find, you, you'll find one person, so one woman or one guy who just knows a lot of people in a particular area. Um, and that once you find that person thing, things get easier. People like you, Matt. You mentioned early in the book, Tom, mm -hmm. that, you know, you needed a way of getting around, right? A, a kind of a theme to, to do it. And you started with the U S open venues. So to play every venue that, uh, has hosted U S open, I think you mentioned that there was maybe some other ideas you had to get yourself from a to B to C to D. Yeah. What, what were those? And were you satisfied with the route you chose, which is, you know, hitting every U S open venue? 
Yeah, I mean, so there were, yeah, there were a few different ideas. There were like play the top hundred public courses, play the top hundred, you know, which were, was, wasn't interesting or obvious or like play one in every state or um, play, play all the open venues, but then also play like a muni, the nearest muni is like a contrast to each one. And um, so there were all, yeah, that was the biggest challenge. One of the big challenges in this book is trying to figure out what's the, you know, yeah, I want to write a love letter to golf in America and I want it to, um, you know, be this sort of all encompassing look at golf in America, but what's the, you know, Ireland and Scotland, they present, okay, you do a loop, you go around until you come back to where you started. Um, and America's not necessary. That's not necessarily the case. I'd miss a whole heck of a lot. Um, if I just went around the edges, um, it would be a, pretty weird portrait of america too we got um, we got iowans on the call tom there i was yeah i nailed iowa i loved iowa um but yeah exactly i mean idaho i guess i could have squeezed in there but yeah i needed to get you know into the into the beautiful the middle of our country so um yeah so trying to find a, a some sort of way to frame it was challenging i did like using the u.s open courses as tent poles because that meant it just gave me like, okay, these are like 50 that you have to do. And, and that's just a place to start. And then, okay, what's near each of them. And then what's interesting as you make your way from a to B and then it's like, okay. I mean, the only problem with the U S open courses is, is that they are very well, one, there's a very much an East coast. <laughs> it, you wouldn't call it an East coast bias. I mean, when they were playing this golf course, there were really, there was maybe only golf on the East coast, you know, when they were playing some of these tournaments, east coast and chicago so um so they're like sort of chicago heavy east coast heavy and west coast heavy and there's a lot like in the middle that's missing so then from there you're like okay how do i fill out the rest you know and um and that's where then my own interest and ambitions in playing places like sand hills and getting up in Nebraska and going to Coeur d'Alene and, and seeing what's going on at Gamble Sands and Sylvie's Valley in, in Oregon. Like then it's like, okay, now I can just sort of indulge. Like I've heard this place is cool and let's, let's go there too. So that's kind of how it worked. You bring up Nebraska. I was thinking about the few places I wanted to actually ask you about on this limited time we have tonight. Um, you know, you, you're, you've written before about how, what true links golf is. I think it was an early golfers journal of what's links golf and what's not. Um, the, uh, Nebraska, I think you say it's American links. And I wanted to see, you know, how does Nebraska, did, did that hold for you and how does it stack up with the UK? Yeah, no, I mean, the thing about Nebraska, what's so fascinating. And as I was driving through it, I couldn't believe what I was looking at is that you know, and the same thing in fairness to, um, to Wisconsin, you know, um, a large portion of Wisconsin, but you know, the Nebraska sand Hills are, you know, who would, I don't know how I still am not, I write about it in the book. I'm still not quite sure exactly the geographical sort of phenomenon that conspired to, you know, there were glaciers, ice ages, things, etc. There were oceans and other places where, you know, where they're not anymore, Whatever happened, Nebraska is full of sand hills. So it has, you know, if Lynx golf is one thing, um, it is golf in the dunes, 
right? I mean, that's literally what the word, where the word link comes from, like an old word sort of referring to dunes. And so we have golf in the dunes, you know, we have golf in that sandy soil. Um, now it's different. It's, you know, it's Sand Hills that, you know, core Crenshaw masterpiece. It is, it is different. Yeah. There's no ocean. So that's one part. It's incredibly remote. Um, so when people say like, do we have like true British Isle style links experiences in America? I'll still say no. Like, okay. Yeah. We've got fescue. We've got sand. Like we've got all the technical things perhaps, but do you have, do we have links courses that like flow into the middle of a town like they do in La Hinch or in Montrose or in St. Andrews and stuff, you know, like, no, we don't. Um, do we have, um, <laughs> the, the weird, delicious, non-specific soup that you get after your call from the British Isles? No. Uh, you know, the caddy whose accent you can't understand, but you're sure is telling you something essentially important. No, like, so there are parts to just parts of the experience that are just <laughs> quintessentially, you know, um, Scottish, Irish, English links. And, you know, but our experience over here is, is pretty great. I mean, the experience that you have at a place like Sand Hills and how, you know, the golf course is removed even from the parking lot. Like, it's funny, you have to, like, when I got there and I'm like, there's golf carts, like, blasphemous this is supposed to be like pure golf the inspiration for banded dunes like this is you know the mecca and they're taking everyone's riding out in golf carts and you realize it's you have to take a golf cart to get to the golf course <laughs> because they built the golf course away from the clubhouse because they didn't want you to see anything all you can't you i mean you can't see the little sort of starting pavilion um it's it's basically just a, a very very low-lying well it's on stilts but there's just one building where you can hang out afterward and have a beer and stuff that you can see from the golf course. Otherwise you see nothing but, but sand Hills. And that's, what's kind of cool about going there. So, um, so all these, you know, American links, whether it be sand Valley, whether it be Bandon, you know, uh, they're fantastic and they have their own characteristics and their own experiences, um, that are unique to going there. And most importantly, they play firm and fast. You know, so and they're mostly and for the most part, they're fescue, which, you know, which is what you want when you're playing a links. It's just sort of that crunchy grass. Your ball kind of sits up on it. Um, that's what you're looking for. So, yeah, you, you can get it over here in America for sure. So th that many of us on the on the call tonight, we we make those voyages to the UK for uh, for that type of golf, but also that culture, that magic that you're talking about with. Yeah. Whether it be caddies or um, the soup or just, I mean, we all have the stories and that's why we save our dollars to go back. Um, were there places, so golf aside, not, not the land that they play on, but were there places in this trip through America that actually did remind you of that, uh, that, that are almost similar to Ireland and Scotland and those kind of those club that, that magic at those clubs. Yeah, I would say probably, um, Gerhardt in Oregon feels that way to me. Um, and it's no accident that they're a sister course, that they're twinned, if you will, with um, Karn in Belmullet, which is, you know, one of my favorite spots in the world uh, in Ireland. Um, and that's how I got to know Gerhard. They invited me out for an event because they knew how much I cared about Karn. And they said, oh, we just twinned with them. And which just means 
which is kind of a cool thing. And the new club, you guys should do this. And it just means, you know, where you go and you tell another course, like, it's like asking them to the prom, right? It's like, Hey, we think you're cool. You want to hang out? Um, like you want to, your, your members come play with our members and our members will go play with your members. And that's what they do with Gerhardt. They, every other year they go back and forth, the Irish come over and then they go over and visit. It's probably every couple of years, but I got to know Gerhardt and that to me, it being on the very, you know, on the sea, uh, a very firm and fast golf course, a treeless expanse, a very simple, natural feeling routing. And then just the whole camaraderie of the place, like there it's a, it's, it's a, it's one of the great golf hangs, uh, that I found anywhere. So, um, you know, that you can, you play, you know, just steps from, um, the patio, where you know where it's just not full of like accoutrements and no driving range no bs no like um no country club flair you know it's just very like hey you can like in five paces from the bar you can be on the first tee i know what by the way in the ninth in the dunes by the ninth hole they built another bar because you know you never have too many i guess um so that place to me just had the vibe and the culture and the feeling of a real, and it also just, because it was accessible, it has, it also had members and guests living life in perfect harmony. And that <laughs> how, is the key now, to it, how? right? I know. How could it be? That's the key to it, right? Where you have, yeah, you have members enjoying preferred tea times and having their club championships and doing their thing but they're still selling tea times to people off the street and it's working. And, and that, that creates a certain energy in a place um, between like folks who like call the place home and folks who really admire that. That's just good. It's real, real positive and real energetic. So yeah, Gerhardt for sure. I, I had it for one of my last questions for you, but since you touched on it, I I'll, I'll jump to the idea of uh, private clubs, welcoming guests. And you've been very vocal about that and, and kind of the reasons for why it needs to exist. You talk about why it doesn't in the book. You do some um, historical reflection on how golf kind of didn't bring that over from the UK and, and got caught up in the country club movement of the 19th century. And um, I found all that stuff really fascinating. But I was, I'm just curious from being in 50 states and playing 300 courses, do you think in our lifetime – are you know most coveted golf clubs do you think or do you think in your lifetime tom you'll see that those clubs actually will open to guests do you think there's potential for that nope it sucks <laughs> sorry i know i wanted to give you like a bit <laughs> that you know i'm changing a course called what about, america will, what about will your change daughter's, it all. what about your daughter's lifetime Should we just okay daughter's lifetime daughter's lifetime could be yes yes in their lifetime you know there, there's a chance and but it might have to do more with like um i don't know some environmental disaster taking place and there's only three golf courses left and they have to let everybody play on them that that's how we're going to get there no i say no because one thing of those coveted golf courses those prestigious like to be a member is a way that we designate you know, some sort of like class or nobility in America, which is BS. I'm not saying that 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 should be the case or whatever, but for some people it is the case, right? So those places, 
I, I just can't see them. There's too much to lose by them um, becoming more accessible because if they lose um, some of that, whatever that, that golden dust is that makes it so everyone wants to belong there so they can be among the chosen like that's what they have to market and that's their that's their thing and they can't lose that they don't want they don't want to lose that so yeah so i'd say um for for most not not for most but for those types of clubs i don't i don't think that it will change but um but there will be a lot of clubs i think that in our lifetime where it will change like that say the tier under like you know say those top 50 or top 100 like you know status clubs once you get past that and you get to like the good area country clubs that are private I, I i don't see how they're going to really i mean golf is having a great time right now after covid but um i i, I don't see how it's going to work if if they don't figure out um some way to become appealing to basically matt to you right and to your demographic to your members, to millennials, to people who would say, I'd rather spend 30 grand a year on golf trips and do amazing things than spend $75,000 on an initiation to play the same golf course every day. That ain't going to work. It's just not going to, it's just, it, I don't see that how that's going to appeal to most people who are 30 years old now, you know, in, in 20 years time. I, I, I'm not seeing it. So, um, either the clubs are going to have to start offering more stuff, which I think some of them starting to do, uh, or they're going to have to open up to more people and, and offer more value, but it's going to be interesting. I mean, yeah, we're at a, I think we're, things are, things are going to, uh, I mean, I think golf's in a really, really good place, really good place, yeah. but it's in a good place because of things like the new club and, and, you know, you guys don't have, um, real estate and you're not alone. And there are other clubs, you know, I, I spoke that spoke to another club last week that is a similar model. And, and you probably get frustrated, Matt, watching these pop up all over the place because <laughs> it's quite it's or, you know, imitation is, is, is flattery. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's good. But that's golf's going that way. I was trying to explain this the other night, at like crooked stick. Right. And um, or at some other or at Meridian Hills or any. I was in Indianapolis and I was talking to, you know, these are members at at prestigious golf clubs and they're asking where's golf going and i'm like well I'm like you know most young golfers that i hang out with today they spend their time their grill room is whatsapp you know what i mean yeah. their their grill room is the refuge you know no laying ups message board and everyone kind of looked at me like what <laughs> one what are those things <laughs> two what do you mean like they talk in some, they don't talk face to face. I'm like, it's different, man. It's like, it's a different conversation. So things are changing. It's going to be fascinating to see how it goes. We, we were talking yesterday. Um, we just got back from our summer medal up in Wisconsin, playing same Valley, some of those Sandy soil areas. You, yeah. Uh, we're talking about Lasonia and, uh, and we, we were joking about uh, all the clubs that people would be interested in right now have hiked up initiations and how this initiation fee is really kind of this barometer for, um, you know, how desirable a place is at that time. And, and, 
it really doesn't, you know, have anything to do with the cost of operations. That's probably what the dues are there for. But this, uh, it's either the real desirability or this fictitious desirability that just is is up because everybody, because um, uh, we're seeing another boom. But I, but I agree with you, Tom. I, I don't know if that boom is is uh, amongst is changing how people want to consume golf and. And, you know, right now I'm looking at our, our Slack channel, which is what we use. That's our clubhouse and everybody's mm -hmm. talking now. So it's, uh, it's just different. And, and I hope golf kind of changes with it for the right reasons, yeah. not the wrong ones. But that is interesting. Like I, there's an economic term for those types of goods that their price, you know, that it's all about perceived value that they are demand goes up as price goes up, like that the, they deny the laws of supply and demand that, you know, as the price goes up for a country club's membership, more people want to belong there. Cause like, Oh, I don't want to belong to the place where everyone knows I only had to pay five grand to get in, you know, <laughs> cause everyone ends up knowing what every place costs. And like, no, I want everyone to know that my place was six figures and blah, blah, blah. And it's like barf. <laughs> you certainly get a lot of that in the Philly scene. I'm sure you do in the Chicago scene as well. Oh yeah. Oh, With yeah. any, um, you know, any big city, it's just a lot of, uh, a lot of that. So and we, what are you going to do? You really just need a, a good grounds, multiple grounds to play and good people to play it with. And that's why the communities that you, you ran into, like you, you said out there that are uh, popping up all over the place. I mean, we, we take it sincerely as a compliment because we were only imitating the clubs that we saw in the UK and they have thousands of their population. Then we should have tens of thousands of them running around. And we don't, we have probably under a hundred from what I can tell. So hopefully that, that changes too. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Well, I mean, your name, you know, your name comes from over there, the new club, which were clubs that were, they were societies that, you know, floated around. I mean, you know, that existed. We're not attached to, you know, whether it be the honorable company or the world and ancient or the, you know, in Musselboro, I mean, those, uh, you know, uh, Burgess or wherever, like those clubs moved and, and uh, to three, four, five different golf courses, you know, it was all about being the society being part of the club was what mattered and where you happen to play that weekend. Well, you know, you, you could rotate your playing fields, like you said. And um, so that's actually so when people were listening to what I had, what I was explaining, it, it felt like they were hearing like a very new idea. And I was saying, well, actually, this is actually a very old idea. This is sort of where golf, how golf was was played and, um, you know, for a very long time. So, yeah. Uh, I, I need to get to some member submitted questions, but so I'm going to do my last personal question for you is, you know, back in 2019, when we had that match, uh, one thing that stuck with me was you said your travels were uplifting your belief in people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could tell you sincerely meant it. Well, a lot of shit has gone down, Tom, since 2019. Is your belief still strong in people? Are we okay? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yes, 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 we are. A lot of shit did go down, didn't it? It's funny. Like, um, so to write a book that I think was about like my journey to reinstill like a lot of like faith and love and belief in, in this great country that in which I was have the privilege to live. Right. Um, I mean, that's, it's, it's a love letter to American golf, but to America as well. And, you know, to write that book and be editing it and then turn on the news and it's like Armageddon 
and worse than ever in all the, in, in any number of different ways, you know, politics aside. So, um, yeah, but that's the cool thing is I think what, um, the trip did teach me and going to all these different places did teach me that, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people out there. We got some serious differences and people think different things and, and, and all that, but, you know, I spent eight months on the road in 50 states and, and had only one incident where a crossword was shared. And, and I think that's pretty damn good. Um, and, and I, and I think, the, and the friendships that I made along the way are people I still keep in touch with. Um, and the thing that keeps us together is golf. And, and now, and now that the book is out, you know, to sort of relive the journey that we, we had together and, and, and sort of sharing it. So, um, no, yeah, people are good. We're 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 gonna be just fine. Um, yeah, but I swear to God, if I have to put these fucking masks back on, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. It's it's freaking over, man. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, no, we're, we're <laughs> maybe that's why that's why your lost the chapter on lost uh, lost golf hit me hard last night was because it could happen again, and maybe I freaked out a little bit, but. Dude, don't, let's let's not. No questions about no that question, today, yeah. please. I can't handle it. So our members submitted a bunch of questions, and then we'll open up to whatever is in on anyone's mind uh, after I get through these. But um, first, member submitted question was uh, best clubhouse shower. Oh yeah, um, this is a Graylin Loomis special from Lynx Magazine, who uh, loved to uh, rank his power showers. Um, which is so, also but for a, me, a, another thing that we haven't really experienced is a clubhouse shower being, you know, not uh, crossed off with warning tape. <laughs> the new club is not known for its its water pressure. We'll just put it that way. Um, but the best one for me, that would, I didn't think I'd have an easy answer for that, but it was so easy. It was Nanea um, because I was freaking outside staring up at the beautiful Hawaiian sky so your shower is like the, the shower, they have the locker room and they're like huts that are look like volcanoes almost. They're designed to look like the seven volcanoes on the big island and the hut that is the, the men's locker room off the back. You walk out and they're glass enclosed, like your little glass enclosed shower um, with nothing above you. So except, you know, the, the shower head. And, and the wall is made of like lava stone. And so, oh my God, I'm like, you know, taking a shower under the Hawaiian sun. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, yes. So everyone get get out to Nanea. Call Chucky Schwab up and ask him if he can come out and see his showers. That was a ridiculous. That was um, uh, Tim Boyle, who owns Gerhardt and owns Columbia Sports, is a member there and, uh, and, and, and made it possible for me to, to, me, for me to play there you know, going back to this idea of like the connections game that you play. Um, because otherwise I, I, I'd have never had the chance to take that wonderful, wonderful shower, took that shower, jumped on a plane and came home. So that was it. There you go. It was my last yeah, shower of the trip. The and it was a it. damn good one. The great American shower. The great American, the search for the great American shower. Uh, you played a lot of lesser known tracks. So one of our members wants to know uh, which hidden gem you were so excited to unhide when, when you left, you're like, I can't wait to talk about this place. Yeah. Well, one is the great American golf course that, um, 
that I won't discuss here for fear of spoiling the book for anyone. Um, but uh, so there, you know, so that to me was very much a, a hidden gem. And part of the reason why I got so excited about it and decided, you know, this is for me, the golf course that I've been searching around America for. Um, but man, oh, they're hidden gems like like a golf, a golf course like St. Louis Country Club, I think, flies under the radar. Um, it's a, you know, McRainer, but not being on the East Coast, I don't think people put that together and like think about it that way. And um, so I had no expectations of this place when I rolled up to St. Louis and uh and dude i just loved it i just thought it was so fun um architecturally significant and interesting and quirky and weird and crazy land movement so um i absolutely love that i thought um i thought Sewanee was really really good the nine holer at, at university of the, of the south um is one that you know it's 25 minutes from sweetens and i swear people everyone who goes to sweetens nobody goes to Sewanee um and that's the only show that's the only bad thing about sweetens is that people go there and they stay and then they won't go up the road to check out swanee which uh gill hands redid however many years ago and it's this nine holer that's a perfect contrast to sweetens because sweetens is this low-lying you know square or rectangle and um swanee's up in the hills in a, a very amorphously shaped routing and with like three par threes that play that have like an infinity backdrop overlooking the Valley. So, um, totally different vibe there. And, um, and just really, really cool. So I love that place. Um, ah, so many wee gems out there and, you know, a place like, um, two places are both gems and they're both called Highland links. One's in Cape Cod and one's in Gerhardt, Oregon. So the one at the tip of Cape Cod in Truro, Mass, is a nine-holer in the dunes and is probably as close to a, the, the True Links experience that I was talking about with, you know, being sort of rugged and sandy and in the dunes. Um, that's a very linksy spot. Um, and then the Highland Links that are that, that are down the road from Gerhardt is is a uh, it's just a hell of a fun nine-holer. Watch out for the elk. Um, <laughs> And one of the best logos now, Matt Mayor Matty Brown, who who runs and owns the place, and is actually the mayor of Gerhardt. He's only I don't know thirty years old. Um, What's the population with this of great Gerhardt? Logo. I'm sure I could look that up. It's not a big town though, right? Yeah, no, it? not a, not a big town. But they have an elk issue on the golf course, and they they run around the greens and smash the flag. So his their logo is now an elk destroying a flag. So I think it's awesome. It's great. Um, I, this is kind of a half question. I think they didn't uh, press press the submit button too early, but I think they're asking about the the gentleman you invited to play Cyprus. Yes, tell yes. Us, tell us about yes, him. yeah. So Mike Demars, um, who I can I say his last name now because he um he's out there as the gentleman that I invited to play Cyprus. So when I got Cyprus was like the last of the golden goose courses for me to try and get on. And, um, so it was, you know, not the, not the goal of the book, but it was like, okay, I've got to play a lot of really cool places. But this would just knock it out of the park. And as a guy in Philadelphia, I'd very, I didn't, you know, I don't know. I know Pine Valley guys cause there's, you know, it's, it's 45 minutes away, but I have no idea of anyone that belongs to, to Cyprus. 
um, I met some of those people along the way of the trip and, and it came together. And, um, so suddenly I had a tea time at Cyprus with, um, with a member and, um, and he said, bring two friends. So I knew one friend that I was already bringing, um, but I, but it, which meant I had one golden ticket in my pocket to invite anyone to Cyprus. Right. And I'm like, this is so cool. And the only time in my life I'm ever going to have an invite like this, you know, so like, don't screw it up. Um, so I thought about it long and hard and I just kind of held on to that golden ticket. And I thought, you know, all right, at some point, like the universe or fate or whatever is going to put someone in my path. I think as a traveler, as someone who does stories or adventures like this or, or gets around, you kind of come to live that way. You kind of come to trust that, you know, stuff's going to work out. Um, and I just said, Hey, I'm going to trust the universe to like, let me know, you know, show me like a somewhere I'm going to be like, yeah, that's the person. So when I met Mike at the Amsterdam Muni golf course, uh, who was the fourth generation of golfers to play at this municipal golf course in the middle of New York state, a firefighter in one of the more economically depressed regions of New York, uh, who was fully committed to raising his kids there and loved his hometown and loved his municipal golf course and made such a fuss of me around, you know, the mayor came out, like just organized this like big day because just cause I was passing through. And, um, I got to hang out with his wife and got to know his dad and his kid. And like, it was like, it was a trip. It was a stop I did not want to make. And it was top five stops on the trip. And I just, that, so that night I knew I'm like, Mike, you want to go, you know, Cypress point. He's like, any Cypress point. He's like, like the band, um, <laughs> like the rap group. I'm like, nah, dude, that's Cypress Hill. Um, we're going to go to Cypress point. And, uh, it's like, no way uh really you know i remember him texting me in capitals i will move mountains i'm like that's why you're the guy you're the guy the i will move mountains guy because you know when sometimes you have an invite like that and you invite someone and they're like what day is it yeah, yeah. and you're like damn it i invited yeah. the wrong dude you just or gotta woman. go you just gotta go you gotta figure it out exactly is there is there a course in your now, now that you've seen a lot of those places that you would move mountains to, to get back to. Oh yeah. Um, probably to get back to Cyprus, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, was, um, I'll do, I'll never say no to, um, I've been back to national a couple times since, cause I don't, I don't think I heap a ton of praise on it in the book, but that's become really like super favorite, wonderful, awesome national golf links for me. So that that's a course that I'll, I'll move a lot of plans to get back to. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to play Augusta once and, uh, if anyone out there wants to make it twice, I will move mountains. We got, we got a sure. ton of Augusta guys on the call Tom, but we don't like to disclose who they are. So, well, you can't just cause then it just gets keep it between us. Yes. I will uh, talk about it off air. This is a clever one. I kind of like it. If you had to compare your travel book trilogy to a, you know, for those that don't know, Ireland, Scotland, and America, Tom's travel books, to a movie trilogy, what would that movie trilogy be and why? <laughs> I, did, I should have wrote down names of these. I'm sorry, guys. I, I forgot to write down. That's a pretty good question. That's a pretty good. Um, I'm definitely the Fast and the Furious 
<laughs> because it just keeps bringing the heat. Um, you know, you Does just keep you cranking it out. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. Like you have one, you have a similar cast of characters. Um, they keep getting better, obviously. Um, the appetite for them cannot be quenched or satiated. So, yeah, definitely. They're definitely doing 16 of these things. Um, no, no, no. I think you know, I'm trying to think of good trilogies. All right, so Star Wars. The real, the original Star Wars. Hmm. The first one. No. Now, I mean, that question's almost like a, that's, I'd have to like work that out in like a, it's a riddle. It's like a, it's like a riddle. It's like a question for like a term paper. Yeah. I really like the question, but I have to do proper research to, to give it a proper, uh, but the way, I mean, I look at the, so my view, I guess, of the trilogy, the Ireland book was some weird idea. And my publisher was like, yeah, what the hell go for it. It sounds wacky. You're going to walk around Ireland. And um, yeah, I guess maybe people like golf in Ireland, like, you know, there wasn't that much out about, you know, whatever. And, um, and it was this big surprise and it would, you know, I remember them sending me the paperback copy and it said New York times bestseller on, it. I said, that's insane. And it's probably bullshit. We should probably check that because I'm sure somebody will. And I'll feel like a real jerk. And they're like, no, no, no. It made the, the sports list, blah, blah, blah. I was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't even know that. So that book was a surprise. Like it, it just, it was, it surprised me. It really surprised my publisher um, that like this recipe of golf in Ireland came together and like worked because it doesn't there wasn't like a book before it to really compare it to and say oh yeah it'll work because um it's just like harvey Penick's little red book you know what i mean it, it just didn't have that and publishing usually thinks in those terms of you can expect to sell x because y sold x so anyway um so it was the nice surprise book that like allowed the other ones uh to happen oh, i like the star wars thing because then like scotland could be like empire which like because like Empire is the best of them, but probably doesn't is maybe least appreciated, right? Yeah. So maybe I'll throw Scotland in there, and as then a, Return of the Jedi has, a, has kind of the twist, right? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So then Return of right twist, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then Return of the Jedi could be the most recent one because it's doing a bigger box office than the other two. <laughs> And there was more anticipation for it because of the other two movies um, or the other and, and the other two books. There's a, there was a bigger audience ready for it. So it's, it's done. It's done well, but you know, it's still very young. We'll see. We'll see the, the, the path that it leads. Who knows where it goes. Someone else asked a pretty direct question is American golf inferior to Scottish and Irish golf. Ooh, them's fighting words. Not for me. I think it's a good question, but for somebody in either of those places, I guess. Not inferior. No, not, not inferior. Different. And that's, I think that's one of the points of the book is that I find a way to, that I find that I would have said inferior after writing a course called Ireland and a course called Scotland. But I had to actually go out and find out. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't rely on that answer as some knucklehead who's sitting on his couch pretending to tell you he knows everything about the world when he hasn't seen a damn bit of it. 
I think we just generally do too way too much of that in everything in our lives, whether it's sports, politics, life, knowledge, just, you know, our, you know, that we live in and it's, I don't know, there's a lot of reasons for it, but that we kind of sit back and feel so informed and so knowledgeable. And why shouldn't we? We have so much information at our fingertips that I can tell you what life is like in New Mexico. And I can tell you what life is, what, you know, what golf is like in Colorado. Truth is I can't, I can now. Cause I've been to a lot of those places. I can't tell you about every course. I can tell you about some. And so what I can tell you is that American golf has some of the greatest golf experiences anywhere. Um, my, I have a personal, um, and, and it, maybe it's just how I'm wired Irish heritage. I, I don't know, but there's something about, um, the welcome, the attitude, the approach, the whole thing about, I, frankly, I just like life over there uh, a lot as well. I just like the sort of pace of life too. So there's a lot of factors that go into why I love sort of links golf in the British Isles so much. Um, but it, no, it's not an, not inferior. No, it's not. It's just, it's different. Both great. It's like having kids, you know, like they're both great. They're both great. They're just different. Yeah. Even though you love one more than the other. No, you don't. I, I definitely, I can relate to the, the, we're always stack ranking everything. I'm trying to remove rankings from my, uh, my lifetime because I feel like it's, uh, it gets me very cynical, right? I start punching holes and everything and I should just be more appreciative of the course I'm playing instead of the, you know, chewing it apart and ranking it to next to the course I played last week or the course I'm playing tomorrow. Did you find yourself, I mean, you, you your ranking system was uh, unique and I'm sure some people were expecting something else, but how, how does Tom Coyne feel about rankings in general? With <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it kind of a um, contradict myself a bit in that I've, I'll say that I think rankings are, are generally pretty silly. Um, but good for conversation and good for clicks and good for grill, grill room debate. You know, they serve like a purpose from an entertainment point of view, but other than that, I don't think they mean a hell of a lot. And that's why shout out to the golfers journal. You will never see a rankings list of any kind, unless it's something really interesting and creative, like we'll rank the, I don't know, like, um, the best music ever written for a major championship or something stupid like that. Like we would do something weird like that, but, and probably not even then, you know, we're, we just rankings. It's just not, that's not real storytelling. That's not real journalism. It's not real, whatever it's um, but it is entertainment and, and I like it as entertainment. And, and so, and even in the book, like I'll refer to things as being top ranked or top hundred, or I'll go to places because I've seen them on rankings lists too. So, so that I guess they serve that purpose in steering people towards certain clubs. And I do a ranking, I do rankings in the back of the book um, for all different sorts of golf courses, you know, courses you can play courses that are inaccessible, hidden gems, like just, you know, do, I do like all these different top tens. Um, honestly, because one, it was a way for me to kind of remind myself of a lot of the places that I'd been and experiences I'd had. 
And it was also um, a way, like I just knew from the Ireland and the Scotland books, how a lot of, not a lot, but some people would get the book and just flip to the back to see where I went and what I thought of the courses. So I'm like, oh, let's just, let's just lean into it, man. And just let's, let's blow it up. Like, let's really go. The appendix for each of the books has gotten bigger just from feedback that I've gotten where people are like, oh, I really think that's kind of cool when you're, you know, it's just, honestly, it's something you can flip through, you know, in the bathroom in the back when you're not in the mood to read anything and be like, what's that course? Number eight. I never heard of that place. And so um, it's more utilitarian than anything. It doesn't mean a hell of a lot. And I think I probably use the lists in my book to stir debate or to remind, um, um, remind people like where they haven't been sh should go um, or to make them a little angry um, to stir the pot as, as like big Randy would say, uh, because I, you know, not to, that I'm deliberately trying to be a contrarian, but I, I don't generally go with the obvious. Big, big Randy speaking of small aside, if anyone wants to go deeper on this, uh, a course called America four part series with big Randy on the trap draw was pretty, pretty great, Tom. And I'm trying my best Thanks, not man. to duplicate uh, what you guys chatted about there, but I did see he, he talk about getting uh, stirring the pot. He, he, you know, souffled public golf this week, <laughs> which I guess was a Sully got him. That was a, a, a paid due. That I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that was about, but it was really, I knew it was, it was bullshit and it was awesome uh, <laughs> just because of the reactions like, and just, I, it just had me laughing. I, I don't know where it came from, um, but it, <laughs> we, we became friendly with these up. guys, which, which I know you are too, but Caldwell was ready to be like, I'm done with these guys. No more, no laying up. Screw big Randy. How dare he attack municipal golf, public golf. Uh, oh, I, totally. Yeah. I was like, man, this is, uh, I'm like, what is he doing? So I knew that he was something, there was something up with it. I still don't know what it was, but trust me, uh, Big Randy is a, is a very much a man of the people. Um, and uh, it plays golf with his shirt on tuck. So, you know, <laughs> there was, uh, there was, there was tongue firmly in cheek or, or a lot of irony in that, I'm sure. All right, I, I, I could do the submitted questions all day, but I want to leave time for people to ask what's on their minds That would for the remainder of the time that we have you, Tom. I'm going to do just one more from the submitted questions, um, and it's about your, the relationship with your dad. So it was mm -hmm. a consistent story throughout the book, and this member wants to know, was that determined before you set off kind of his origin story and how he got started uh, playing the game on that nine-holer in California? Or uh, was there a certain point in the trip where you said, you know what, this is dad is going to be a kind of a through line through, through the whole thing. Good question. Um, and it wasn't, I didn't set out with that in mind. It, it, it sort of came up as the, the trip unfolded because I, I thought, you know, all right, my last round of golf or, you know, how am I going to end? Cause as a writer, you're, you're thinking about your ending usually before you have your beginning. And, um, you know, is it going to be my last round? Is it going to be coming home to my family? Is it going, you know, is it going to be the great American golf course? Like what's it going to be? And when, and I knew at some point along the trip that I wanted to play at the course, I grew up with my dad. Um, the course I grew up at, I wanted to go back and play with my dad. Cause of course we're, 
neither of us were, were members anymore. And um, of course called Rolling Green. So we wanted to get back to that. And um, he started having a lot of like health problems, um, sciatica or hip pain or joints and vertebrae and stuff. And like he was in bad shape and, and couldn't play golf. So that happened halfway through the trip. So that's when I started to think about not thinking like, oh, this will make an ending of the book. Like but thinking um, about my dad in different terms, right? Like seeing your dad with a cane, like that was weird, man. And, I, and, it, and, it, and it made me want to document, want to do more with this book to document our experience together. Not, not nothing morbid. Like I felt like maybe on some level, there was some of that, like dad's not going to be around forever, but I'd like to, I don't know. Um, but it just, his health made me think a lot more about, um, you know, how much I owe to him. And especially since he gave me golf, um, and how this story is really my golf adventure starts with him. And, um, and so, no, so that stuff didn't come around until late, late in the story. And the, and the visiting the golf course in San Diego thing didn't really pop up until I was in San Diego. And I thought, shit, there's the base. Um, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if that golf course is there. Uh, and it's just, it was just one of those gifts of the road. Like, I think it gave the book an effective ending and, um, and I got it. And, and it's the same things happen in Ireland and Scotland, whatever, like something happens on the road that just would not have happened if I didn't, if you say, if you will, like go the extra mile, right? Like if the, if I planned like a reasonable trip and said, I'm going to go to the top 20 courses and uh, we're going to have a nice time. And I'm going to tell you what makes them so special. You know, like if, if I didn't really kind of put like i don't know i think if you put everything into something it just spits more back out at you and and this i think san diego was an example of that because it wasn't something i was planning for but as it was happening i was like holy shit and this is really this is the end of the book yeah. and it's a pretty and it's almost like emotional when you find that um especially when it's something you've been working on for three years it also as the reader it, it made me think about my own golf origin and where did mm. You know, my grandpa taught my dad how to play. Where did he learn to play? What was his first round? Because he didn't come from golf before that. And it's just, uh, it was a cool, I, I think so many of us on the call, right, um, are mostly taught by our fathers. I think uh, it was very relatable. Thanks, man. Well, let's give the opening it up a shot. This has gone either terribly in the past or, or uh, it works out okay. Just the only thing I'll ask guys is if go ahead and unmute yourself, try to you know get in line if you can with, through the chat um, and remute yourself when you're done asking the question just so we don't have any background noise. But uh, let it fly for some questions for Tom before we let him roll. I guess I'll give it a go. Hey Tom, uh, thanks for hey Josh. How you doing, man? Sharing this pretty well. Uh, it's good to be able to talk to you. Thanks yeah. for sharing this time with us. 
uh, since arriving in Wisconsin, I've been been able to listen through all your books, Paper Tiger, through a course called America. And I feel like I know you like really, really well. And uh, I know your your family, your friends. And but it's weird because I don't, you know, I don't. But it feels like you'd be one of the guys in the buddy trip. So do you ever get approached that way in person where people like really, really know you? And is it is it ever really awkward? Thanks, Josh. Um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, having done, so this is the fourth book where I'm the main character, right? And I'm like trying to be totally transparent and frank and forthcoming about myself, my shortcomings, my family, you know, everything, right? Because that's just the, that's how I was taught to write. Um, and so that's what I do. But um, that's a good point. Like, I think it, um, the good thing I haven't, no, I, have, I don't have any like stalkers or any like people that like come to my house and like, what's for dinner? Like, um, or don't, don't you want to play golf with me? You like to play golf with strangers. Like, no, I don't, I don't get that. Like, um, too often. No. Um, but what's cool is I get a ton of email and like correspondence from, from people who've read the books and, um, and then tons on like on social media messages and stuff like that. So, um, that's been cool because like, I never, I, like I, oh, when I growing up and still read like a lot of fiction and, um, and I've never reached out to an author, uh, unless I, there was some like business, um, sort of request or something, but so I've never like reached out and said, Hey, I enjoyed the book or like, Hey, it made me think of this. Um, but I'm really fortunate that I get some of those like every day. And I think that's a product of the fact that, like you said, I think hopefully people read the books and feel like they know me enough to shoot me an email and be like, Hey dude, nice one. Or like, or why did you do that? Or like, I have a question about this. You know, that's been the best part of it is, is that I actually get to interact with the people who've read the books. Um, and generally they, they've enjoyed them. And not, not too many people will take the time to reach out to you if they think you suck. Um, so, so that's good. So that's been, that's been cool. Um, I think there's once in a while, it's a little, not weird, but when you go somewhere and you're like, like if I'm doing this, like speaking to our golf clubs and I'll go to tell people like where I was yesterday and everyone's like, yeah, we know. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, because they follow you on Instagram or something like where people kind of know what you're doing, where you are, what you've been up to, where you just played. Um, you're like, Oh man, I don't have anything to say then. Like you just my life's too much of an open book. Um, so no, uh, that would be, that'd be one kind of weird thing about it. Um, when, uh, folks know what you're up to and where you are, but, um, no, there was a point where Allison, like she made me get a PO box because people would want to send me a letter, send me something. And I was just giving out her home address and, um, stuff was showing up. Some nice, all nice, some weird. And um, she's like, can you not give our address to strangers anymore? And I was like, okay, all right, we'll go with the PO box. So, um, but anyway, no, it's actually, it's, it's been good. Can I follow that up real quick? Yeah. Do you ever run things by her that are familial 
like family related type stuff before you go to publish so that she can kind of screen it or approve it? Um, let's see. Well, she reads everything. She's my, she's my first reader. So, um, she reads everything. She always generally says like, she's incredibly supportive, but like, why is there so much of me in the book? Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's like, well, you're a big part of the story. Um, and then no, she's never asked me to change anything. Um, I think there was a question on the bio, whether I should list that I have two daughters or should I use their names? And she said, no, just say two daughters. I think that's what's in the book. So that was about the only time. Yeah. But no, but she reads everything. So she would know, but thank you. I'll go. Tom, uh, thanks for joining. It's been great. And the books are great. Um, kind of just a little random question, uh, more intimidating opening tee shot, the judge on the Trent Jones trail or number one at the old course with people watching you from the railing. Easy. Um, but a good question, but two great settings, right. Um, and talk about, could they be any more different the, the, from the narrowest, scariest, weirdest, you know, like standing at the judge and just being like, there's nothing to hit at, you know, what am I swinging for? Um, to the widest fairway in golf. Um, as long as you, you can hit it left or you name as far left as you want, but there's nothing more nerve wracking. I mean, Marion's first tee is a distant second. And for a similar reason, because it takes place next to the porch where everyone's having lunch and they all stop to watch you hit. Um, so that's, that's a tough one. But, you know, being at the old course and like the whole, you just feel like the whole golf, not just all the people of San Andreas, like the whole golf world is watching you in that moment, even though they're not there. Like even like ghosts and shit are watching you, you know, it's awesome. Um, and you have like a four iron in your hand and you're, and, and all you got to do is hit it 150 yards and you're going to be fine because it's probably going to roll out to 220. Um, but it's still so, it's still so tough. Like there's someone, when I was there one time, someone said, you're about to do by teeing off in the first at the old course, you're about to do something that everyone who's ever meant anything to golf has done. And you're like, Whoa, when you put in that perspective, you're like, damn, that's crazy. And then someone, I told that to someone and they pointed out to me that Ben Hogan never played there. And I was like, okay, everyone, but one maybe he did play there though when he went over to win at Carnegie Stadium. knows uh but thank you that's good that's a good question first tee of Makarhanish also not to be underestimated for the fear factor um bite off as much as much as you can and you got to hit it over the heads of the people on the beach that's a pretty spooky one anyone else hey Tom thanks for joining us hey what's happening um, well, first of all, I have to give a hello from Jeff and Andy who played with you at Culver. Uh, if, if they found uh, out I didn't say hello, they'd be angry at me. So they're the best. <laughs> oh, I said hello. They're awesome. I will, I will, but, um, had a question just about how the books developed and kind of how your story developed through all three books in that, you know, course called Ireland being kind of just completely, you know, crazy as far as walking it around. And I, I felt like you got 
way more personal with the Scotland book, mm-hmm. um, with your battles with alcoholism and, and things like that. And then kind of the response, um, and you telling your story with that. Um, and I was wondering how your experience or how that played into your approach on America, especially when, like one thing that I see between the UK and here is how much pride, it doesn't matter what course it is in America. If you say anything bad about anyone's course <laughs> there, they, they hate you for life. But over there, they're just like, eh, it's just a field anyway, who cares? Like they're, they're very confident and, and secure in that. And I don't think you see it as much here and just wanted to. Get I think it's thoughts. a good point. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in terms of the way I approached writing the books, um, you know, I just always have tried to be, you know, to give the reader the straight, at least on what's going on with me and what I'm thinking and whatever. I just give it to you straight. And um, it's, and, and I started as a fiction writer and was told to write fiction that anyone would believe you had to create stories and write things that felt undeniable. And I think actually, you do have to do the same thing when you write nonfiction. You can't pull any punches. You can't bullshit readers. They know if you try to, right? So I was like, I'm just going to tell it like it is. I'm not going to embellish it, um, but I'm going to give you the real, the real dope. And uh, and and that's you know what I did in Scotland. There was no way I was going to be able to write that book and leave out the fact that I was doing it as a sober person. Um, it is not a book that's designed to make you sober. It's not a book that's to make you feel bad about your drinking or anything like that. It's a book that I talk about being sober because I played 57 or I played 110 rounds in 57 days and then tried to qualify for the British open when five years before that, I couldn't get out of bed without a drink. So that's why it's part of the story. It's because it's one of the things I overcame. Right. And stories are about overcoming things. And that's happened to be one of the things that I overcame. And so the reception that that got, um, which was very positive from people, um, what was real positive about sometimes is that people didn't even mention it, you know, that it was just like, cool, you know, it's nice that I'm, I live in an era where, or in an age when there isn't so much stigma that I would have to be, it wouldn't be that long ago where you'd be terrified to tell anyone, you know, addiction, you know, you'd, you'd be you'd have that uh, scarlet letter and and I'm I'm lucky that I don't I don't live in that world or I, and if there are people out there like that I choose not to have them be part of my world so um in any event that just taught me hey honesty works and so I try to do the same thing you know talking about my life and where I was in the America book um but when it comes to talking about people's courses, that's a really interesting point because I was a little bit surprised. I should have known, but that was one of the things that came from, um, that was different. The experience of writing this book. Well, first I'm writing about my own country before in a book that's being published in my own country, which is a very different thing than writing about Scotland and Ireland for a book that's being primarily marketed and public published in America. Right. So I have this like, I have a little bit of a buffer of being like an American writing about courses like I'm on vacation, you know, I'm experiencing him as a foreigner. But writing about my own country, writing about my own neighbors, 
writing about people, people who are members at courses that I see at the grocery store, you know, like, like it just, just, it's just closer. And also, like you said, there's a sensitivity that we have. And I think almost a feeling an attachment or even an entitlement that some people feel to that. I belong to a fancy golf course and I, it deserves to be loved and praised by all who are lucky enough to play it. Um, and so if I'm ever ambivalent about a golf course, and I'll tell you what, in the book, I'm pretty, I have pretty soft gloves. Like I generally love every golf course I play, you know, it's like pizza, right? Like when, even when it's bad, it's still pretty good. Like at least I'm golfing. So I'm never going to really crush a golf course. Cause I just feel like why be a dick? That's kind of my rule for living. And, um, you know, there were, I mean, but some courses are better than others and some courses are probably overrated. And, um, but it was this, this feeling of like, um, okay, if you're going to write the diff, the, really the difference was that Scotland and Ireland, um, those courses, their mem those members, they would never pretend to care or want to own the narrative about their golf course, but that's an American thing. And it's not even, not just golf courses, like professional sports teams want to own their narrative. Companies want to own their narrative. People want to own their narrative, right. And create it themselves. And so it's like, Hey, you know, you see it with so many clubs, like, and we, and we run into this as a golf writer all the time. If you want to write about a certain place, well, we'd like to see what you're going to say first. Right. Um, and so there are a couple places in the book that I am not welcome back at. And I, and I know that, um, and that's all right. You know, um, there's a lot of golf courses out there and I could probably play a little less golf to be honest with you, but it was, it was a new experience to feel a little, sometimes a bit of a backlash about like, um, even when I was speaking 100% truth, to get heat first for doing that <laughs> because um these are like as if these are like secret societies that you're not supposed to talk about it's like jesus christ man it's a field where we whack a ball around we take our shit way more seriously i think sometimes than i mean the scots can or take it like seriously in like a sacred sense but i don't think they ever lose sight of it as a game the irish just think it's fun fun and shit um and something to do when it's not raining uh, but sometimes we can attach, I feel like some like personal value, <laughs> how we feel about ourselves to like how people feel about our golf course. And that's messed up. So new club, don't got to worry about that. You don't have a golf course, so you're good. Avoided it completely. <laughs> exactly. Anybody else with a question for Tom? I would jump in with one. Hey Tom, thanks for joining us. What's up, Jay? Um, I'm I'm chiming in from South Bend, which I feel like you know pretty well. Go Irish. Uh, I was I was on campus tonight, actually. Um, so I was curious. I'm a recovering journalist turned marketing person, and I was nice curious one. from a uh, journalism perspective, how do you compile all of that information and all of those quotes while playing and traveling and doing everything required to do the book while also doing the journalistic things required to do the book right um 
as someone who's like friends are always like, you should write a book. It feels so unattainable. I would be curious to know how you actually managed to pull all that off. I love that. You should write a book. And then when you do write a book, what you'll get from people is, dude, you should put this in your book. You know, like anything that they do that's mildly interesting or funny. You know, you should write a book about my buddies were crazy. Um, so you get a lot of that. So that never ends. Um, and the journalistic side of it. Um, I find it's easier if you just make shit up and then uh, and it's like, just make it sound real. No, I do. So what I do is, so like it's changed with technology, like the Ireland book I would write in the afternoon in journals, the Scotland book, I was keeping a journal on a laptop every day. Um, with the American book, what was nice is I could record, I could dictate into my phone on these long drives I would have every day. So I'd have three hours to like do nothing, but it would, it would go like that because I would basically talk out the whole day into my phone, which would transcribe it into words, which I could just send to a word document. So I have this huge word file of just my ramblings, which I, I had to consult for some things, like for some dialogue, some jokes, some character names, stuff like that. But it's, it's funny when you go back and write these things, these are like kind of mini memoirs, right? Like there's something that just happened, but they happened in the past, but kind of in the recent past, but I'm kind of looking back at them with the wistfulness, perhaps not wistfulness, but the, with the, perhaps the, the sort of, um, uh, nostalgic haze of memoir and um so most of the stuff is is in your memory you know it's there like it's the stories that you don't have to go check are the ones that end up in the book because they're the ones that meant so much to you or or were, or so or were funnier or were more controversial or um so you know i have the source material that i collect on a daily basis now if something happens like really specific i take notes on a scorecard um, so if you go through the scorecards from the trip, um, they'll have just random words on them that I couldn't tell you what they mean now for a million dollars. But when I was doing my notes that day, I was like, oh yeah, pizza, this place had kick-ass pizza. You know, like I could, I would remember like the pizza place and I would riff on about that. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I have the notes, um, and you gotta have the notes because, even there was one incident already that happened in the book that one club came to me and said that didn't happen. I was like, <laughs> sure shit did. And it's right here in my notes and I can, uh, you know, if, so it's my word against yours there, but in any event, um, the, uh, there's, there isn't really isn't too much of that. And, um, I have a pretty good recall for a pretty good recall for, well, I don't have a great recall for names. So that's always something I have to go back and find. But um, when someone's telling me a, a story or a joke, I have a good recall for that. And I have a good recall for events when I'm traveling and stuff. Like I can tell you like what my hotel rooms look like and what locker rooms look like and stuff like that. I'm my, when I'm traveling, like my, my sense, I don't know, for whatever reason. Um, and I can do it with Ireland and Scotland trips too. Um, my, sensibilities like um, i don't know there's like a recorder going on um i don't have a photographic memory but um i can i just find that when i'm on the road like i'm just paying so much more attention to life like when i'm traveling i'm just so much more aware of everything that's going on around me i think we all are 
Um, so being a travel writer is a, it's a good thing to be because, you know, rather than if I was a writer about just like the shit that happens when I'm at home, it'd be a very short book because I can't remember what the hell I did today. Well, I can, I went to Hershey park. It was hot. Um, but traveling, traveling is a gift in that, in that sense that you, uh, you know, we all can probably remember our golf trips a lot better than we can just like our casual Saturday golf with our friends. And so golf trips help. Want to make sure we're, uh, ending around our, our, uh, scheduled time. So maybe one more question for Tom. Hey Tom. Um, I've got a quick question. Speaking of, uh, a man with a, a photographic memory, I was just curious what it was like playing golf with Jimmy Dunn. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. It was, um, yeah. Jimmy Dunn's memory would, would be useful, really useful, but probably would hold me back a little bit because his memory is so good. Uh, that even in his interview, he talks himself about being something of a literalist because he doesn't like embellish anything because he remembers exactly what you said. You know what I mean? Like he remembers every conversation word for word. So when he recounts it, it's not going to get the old, um, the Irish coloring, if you will, you know, where the fish all get bigger and the putts all get longer, you know, because <laughs> he remembers everything word for word. And that's been one of the keys to, to his success. But yeah, it was actually, um, that was just one of the great parts of the story. And, and, you know, it has like basically three chapters of the book for that reason, because he's just such a fascinating person um, between all the things he's been through in his life and, how he treats people and um, there was just everything about being around him. I was like, this is, this is pretty, um, this is pretty special. I was very like to start the day off. I was pretty like intimidated and nervous, um, but then realized like what he was into was like playing good golf. And um, I happened to play. Okay. You know, we went out. And so then I was like, all right, like I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, I feel like I'm, this is fun. Like I'm making some putts and uh, that's what really today's about. Like trying to, trying to win five bucks from the other guys. And once I got to that point, man, it was fun, really fun. And then you just realize like, he's just one of the guys. And that's, I think why people like being around him because at the end of the day, he's, you know, he's Jimmy from Long Island. So. That was a quick one. Maybe one more question. I'll yeah. Ask one. Which I'll clubs ask one. are you not that's allowed right. back at? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Those shall remain nameless because one never knows. Maybe I'll get back to them someday. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. No, that's all right. That's right. No, I, um, I, I probably am known as the Mr. Serious. I have a, I have a kind of a serious question, Tom. I mean, Mark, your mustache. Nice one. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been described as wispy and a lot of other fun adjectives. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, looking good. Uh, I remember you were at the, you were, you were rocking the camera at, um, downers grove weren't you yeah you probably didn't remember if i had a mustache because i was just hiding behind a camera. you didn't have that mustache i know right because i, I would have the list of your that. excuses you could have used tom for that match i i was very impressed you did not include the fact that mark had a camera four inches from your nose yeah right for every every Jeez. golf shot that was... well it was more it was more like eight because i'm five five and i can only reach so high um, fair point <laughs> fair point. um but anyway so tom the one of the things that like that I personally struggle with most in golf is just how racist and misogynist it is. And, you know, in your travels going through all 50 States in America, I'm just curious what your thoughts are and how far off we are 
from from all of that just because so, it's something that i think just really ails us yeah no doubt about it man and i'm glad you brought that up and i'm glad that golfers um hopefully of your generation and the generation before and the generation after i mean hopefully it's something we're all thinking about um but i'm glad we're talking about it you know and uh so there is there's a chapter in the book dedicated to a, a guy uh we call him db um for this douchebag that i met in uh we'll say west of mississippi um for there are a number of reasons why i keep him anonymous as to not embarrass any number of different people. But um, he reminded me how far we still had to go in the way that he was speaking and some of the stuff he said and some of the jokes he made. And that had its, its, its two sides to it. One was um, it was very disappointing to hear the same jokes that I'd heard as a caddy in the late, you know, in the 1980s. Um, and people still thought that was okay. But it was also encouraging in that I traveled 50 states and played 300 golf courses. And I was the only person who assumed that because I was a white person playing a um, wealthy person's golf course, that I was of a certain um, political, whatever persuasion, that it was okay to say shit like that in front of me. Because that's the thing that like burned me the most about it. I'm like, hey, you know what? There's going to be assholes out there. There's probably an assholes in every sport, every pastime, this, that, and the other. But it's this sort of clubby mentality of it that like in within these walls that I get to be in because I'm a, I'm a person of such and such, whether it be means or color or whatever, that we, we can all, that we're all going to laugh at this together. And I found myself, one, not laughing, but two, just feeling like, fuck you man you know like you don't know who i am you don't know who what my who my wife is you don't know what my kids look like and how dare you um so that happened but i would say um that for the most part uh i was i felt pretty fortunate that i wasn't subjected to more of that and i feel like 10 years ago 15 years 20 years ago i would have been um, and, and that's just, so I think there's been a lot of progress made in that regard. Um, and I think it's just going to keep moving in that direction. Like it's going to be, it's interesting. You know, one of the things and I, I write about an all men's club in the book and I kind of, I don't, I don't take them to task. I just tell the people what the deal is. I tell them the truth. And, um, now that Pine Valley is, uh, admitting women members. Um, and, you know, as their membership continues to get younger and memberships across the country continue to get younger and golfers, you know, the next generation comes through. I don't know, man. I think things are going to keep going in a good direction. I don't know how they can, it's not going to stop. It's not going to go back and it's not going to stop. Um, but how far do we have to go? You know, I probably, as far as the whole, our whole society has to go, golf's not immune from you know, it's just a reflection of what's, what's going on in our overall society. But I, I will say that golf and golf clubs and grill rooms used to be these places where you could, used to hear some really messed up shit, you know, and you don't anymore. And um, at least in my world, and I, I don't know, maybe people do in other places, but in the circles that I travel in, I don't. 
So, um, so I think that that's good. And I also feel pretty confident that if anyone did tell the jokes or use the language that people did when I was 12 year old and caddying, um, that they would be told, um, that you could tell them right to their face to shut the fuck up. And that's something people wouldn't have done 20 years ago either. So that's good. You know? So lame answer, but I mean, it's like room, room to grow, but, um, doing a hell of a lot better, uh, than we were. And I think it's, um, considering probably golf didn't change for a hundred years and maybe in the last 30 has started to change. I guess it's pretty rapid when you really think about it. I don't know. Golf doesn't do things rapidly, but um, it's not going to, that stuff's not going to wash with uh, the next generation of players. So it just, it just is what it is. People better get used to it. I think that's a perfect question to, uh, to kind of wrap on just because Tom, um, your inclusion uh, as in the membership of new club, you know, as all these guys on the call know very well, like all we ask is that, you know, you respect each other and you, uh, you take our values seriously and you push for inclusivity and you uh, respect the game and you play fast and, and all these values that we've kind of tried to put down on paper for our golf society, um, reading your book and knowing that there's a, a pollinator bag tag occasionally hopefully prominently placed on your bag <laughs> just just yep. knowing that it is uh part that you're part of it is um is a badge of honor for all of us and uh and that's why i just i love reading the book because you're you you do um sometimes subtly sometimes not really advocate for a lot of those uh concepts that golf uh, either benefited for uh, when it began or, or we need to see more of today, but you're, um, you're telling that story and we, we love it. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it, dude. This was a lot of fun guys. You're great. I love what the new club does and great speaking with everyone and we'll do it again sometime. I, we, I, I heard on one of your junk hits, are you're getting back into fiction writing? So hope so. Yeah, we're, um, yeah, we've got some different uh, ideas we're kicking around. I started as a fiction writer. You know, I wrote a, my first book was a golf novel. That was a book that like looked at racism on the golf course right in the face because um, it was written. You know, it's twenty years old now. Um, but uh, I'd like to get. I don't know, man. Getting back to the question of being a journalist, I do just want to make shit up. It's hard when things interesting things have to happen. And nothing interesting happens in a week. And you're like, damn, got to stay out of here for another week. So, yeah, I think I might go back to making it up. Nice. Well, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to that. I look forward to our new ma- our next match too, Tom. I, I'm a dad now as well. I'm not Gen X, but I am a dad. So my swing speeds aren't as inappropriate as they once were. Yeah, it's uh, all downhill, dude. Yeah, I got to figure out a new way to score, but... <laughs> Um, congratulations that's awesome and uh you'll uh i'm sure you'll do just fine thanks and i'm looking forward to that yeah let's let's make it happen cool well tom thanks for being with us man everybody else thanks for for joining uh what an awesome backdrop live this is great appreciate you guys all being here thanks guys talk to you soon thanks so much for listening to the show this week 
If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we're at New Club Golf. This episode was produced by Mark Caldwell with research assistance by Jim Sitar. The backdrop is supported by members of New Club Golf Society and our official partners.